This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Let's go ahead and begin. We don't have much time and again, I'm juicing and putting a lot of information especially into these this last one as we talk about Jehovah's Witness and our good friends, the Mormons. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to share some of the things that I've learned, some of the things that I've been able to do. I just pray that someone in this room will gain a blessing, that somehow this information will help them when they meet a Jehovah's Witness, maybe on the plane tomorrow, or a Mormon who will come to their door sometime in 2015. I pray that this information will help us to reach our dear brothers and sisters in Christ, many who are so sincere, many who love you so much, many who are living their faith better than we are. So I just pray that you will send your spirit here in Jesus' name. Amen. Come in, there's more room in the front. So let's get right into it, the Jehovah's Witness. Let's get into some of the facts. Again, I I shared with you all, if you want this information, please come and find me. I'd be more than happy to give you all of this information, all the PowerPoints, all the handouts, all the information that I have. It's yours, right? There's no copyright, just right to copy, so it's all yours. Jehovah's Witness began in 1872. The founder was Charles Taze Russell. Their inspired writings are also known as the New World Translation and the Watchtower. We're going to get into some of their writings later on. Their worship centers are called Kingdom Halls. Jehovah's Witness as a people, their active members are called publishers. So if you're an active member, you're called a publisher. They don't celebrate holidays, including Father's Day and Mother's Day. They say that that promotes self-confidence. They don't celebrate birthdays. And you cannot pray for a Jehovah's Witness. So if you knock on someone's door and they're Jehovah's Witness and you say, can I pray for you? That's an insult. No, you can't pray for me. You're in darkness. That's how they, they view it. Prior to 1933, Jehovah's Witness used to be called Bible Students. That was the religious name, was actually Bible Students. Then they changed their name to Jehovah's Witness. Now, here's something interesting. Does anyone want to guess how many Jehovah's Witness there are today? Anyone want to take a guess? There are about 17, 18 million Seventh-day Adventists, just to give a perspective. Go ahead. 50, if you said five zero, five zero million, a lot less than that. Anyone else? Go ahead. You're close. 7.7 million. Isn't that fascinating that there are 17 million, roughly, Seventh-day Adventists, and there are only 7 million Jehovah's Witnesses, but when you knock on someone's door, who do, they, who do they mistake you for? That tells you something about what they're doing, tells you something about their faith. Now, here's, here's something interesting as well. Jehovah's Witness, they baptize sometimes the most amount of people per year, but they also have the highest turnover. That's why they only have about 7.7 million. Now, they ha- their biggest holiday is called, um, it- it's called a, uh, the di- Dinner of Christ or the Supper of Christ. It's-, it's this holiday that they have. And this is for inactive Jehovah's Witness and people who associate with Jehovah's Witness. And about 19.5 million attend that. 
And it's usually 19.5 million attend that. What I mean by that is online, uh, you can partake of it, or you consider yourself part of the Jehovah's Witness. So if you count the backslidden members or those who associate themselves with Jehovah's Witness, they're more like 20 million. But they are so good at kicking you off their books that currently there are only 7.7 active publishers. Here, here is um, some interesting things. Jehovah's Witness as a people, you're forbidden to serve in the military. You're forbidden to buy Girl Scout cookies. This is from their website. Forbidden to serve on a jury duty, uh, to, to serve on a jury. Forbidden to speak to former members. Someone backslides, you cannot talk to them. Forbidden to purchase Christian products. That's another reason why it's very difficult to canvas them. Forbidden to read Christian literature. Forbidden to have friends who are not Jehovah's Witness. This is more. Forbidden to salute the flag. Forbidden to stand for the national anthem. Forbidden to own a flag. You're forbidden to interpret the, interpret the Bible without the watchtower explaining it. You're forbidden to join any sports team. No varsity teams for you. Forbidden to join school plays. Forbidden to attend a funeral of an ex-Jehovah's Witness. This right here, again, was taken from online from their website. All the different things that you're forbidden to do. Okay? Jehovah's Witness, as a people, you must go door-to-door every week. You must attend five kingdom hall meetings per week. We as Adventists, it's hard for us to attend Sabbath school and divine service. For them, they have to attend five services a week. Men cannot have beards. Must study at the Watchtower six months before baptism. Now let's get into some of their beliefs. There is one God in person. There is no trinity. The Holy Spirit is a force who's not alive. Jehovah's first creation was his son. Jesus was raised a spirit. Jesus was a perfect man, not God in the flesh. And Jesus died on a stake, not a cross, because a cross is, of course, a pagan symbol. This is, again, telling you what they believe. They believe that in 1914, Jesus began his invisible rule on the earth, by the way, They really believed that the end of the world would be in 1914, but when it wasn't the end of the world, it kind of changed things up. And they said, oh, no, no, no. What happened was Jesus began his invisible rule. Now, some people have the notion that we as Seventh-day Adventists make the the same mistake. They say, wait, 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 you guys said the end of the world would happen in 1844. That didn't happen, and so you you make up this investigative judgment thing. What's the difference? We were not an organized religion. We had a bunch of William, we had Millerites, right? A bunch of people who believed that Jesus would come, but it wasn't Seventh-day Adventists as a church who had this belief, and all of a sudden we were wrong. That, no, 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 that didn't happen. Okay, um, Jehovah's Witness believe that in order for you to be saved, you have to become a witness. Only 144,000 Jehovah's Witness will go to heaven. The rest, the great multitude, will live on a restored planet Earth. So you know how we believe that When Jesus comes, everyone goes to heaven. Then after the thousand years, where do we all go from there? Planet Earth, right? The New Jerusalem. For them, it's different. The the elites, the Navy SEALs of Jehovah's Witness, they get to go to heaven and dwell with God. But if you're not so good and you're kind of average Joe Schmo and you only maybe went out like a couple hours a week, you're not part of the 144,000. You're not good enough. So you get to stay here on Earth. That's what they believe. Jesus came to earth to share the true name of God. That was his number one purpose, Jehovah. So I'm giving you again their beliefs. 
Their most important prophecy is found in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, the 2520 uh, prophecy is what they believe. It deals with 2520. The start date is 607 B.C. Jerusalem was conquered by the Romans, and the end date is 1914. And here is a, a chart of their beliefs. So it started in 607 B.C., 2,520 years, you get to 1914, this is when the end of the world would happen. That didn't happen, so they changed things up and said, oh, this is when Jesus would have his invisible rule on the earth. Here are some false prophecies about Jehovah's Witness. In 1914, they thought Armageddon would take place. That didn't happen. In 1915, God's kingdom would be established on earth. 1925, God's kingdom established on earth, and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob would be resurrected. None of those things happened. The three, their three main... Literature, uh, the three main literature of the church, of course, is scripture, the New World Translation. Many times the word the Lord has been changed to Jehovah. Then you have the watchtower and you also have awake. Now, here's something interesting. We as Seventh-day Adventists have an advantage. If you have been coming to the seminars Every single religion, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, we talked about an advantage we have as Seventh-day Adventists. Do you know what the advantages are? Do you know what we share in common? We both believe that Michael, is the, Arch- Michael the Archangel is Jesus Christ, so we share that in common. Did you know that we share the same when it comes to the state of the dead? Did you know we share the same when it comes to hellfire? For them, they don't believe that there is a literal place called hell that you go to right now. Most of Christendom believe that. But just like Adventists, we believe that at the very end, what is hellfire? That's when Jesus comes, right, at the very last, uh, when he comes, and, and the, the wicked cannot be in the presence of God, and so there's this, this fire, and, it's, got, and it's, this, it's not forever, and you're not burning eternally, but it's really being absent from the presence of God, and, you know, you burn up. They also apply the day for the year principle in prophecy. Numbers 14.34, Ezekiel 4.6, they apply that. And, of course, they're students of Bible prophecy, and they believe, this is interesting, that Catholicism is the false system of worship. A lot of similarities with our friends as Jehovah's Witness. Now, let me give you some tips about what not to do when witnessing to them. You ready? Tip number one. Do not, I repeat, do not bring up the Trinity. That is the first mistake. You bring that up, game over. Game over. If you bring that up, it's over. That's like you going to a Seventh-day Adventist and saying, you know, there ain't no such thing as a Sabbath. Think about that. Someone went to your door and someone said, hey, I can prove to you there is no Sabbath. In your head, I'm going to prove this guy wrong, right? I'm going to show him. That's what I know. That's what I believe. That's what I've been studied. My name says Seventh-day Adventist. For them, if you say, hey, I'm going to show you there's a Trinity, it's over. The other thing, don't talk to them about Jesus being Jehovah. If you talk to them about Jesus being Jehovah, game over. Again, they won't believe it. They won't want anything to do with you because in their mind, you are not enlightened. So we got to go through the back door. How do you witness to a Jehovah's Witness? Huh? Okay, I'm going to give you some tips here, and I've tried this. Three years ago, I was on a plane, Southwest Airlines, flying from Ontario to Tucson, Arizona. Sitting by him, 
we sat down and we started to talk. I found out that he was a Jehovah's Witness and um, I started to ask him some questions. And here's one of the questions you can ask him. You can say, hey, I like the book of Daniel. I'm giving, I'm like scripting you a how-to, right? They're going to be happy that you like the book of Daniel. Why? There are main prophecies in the book of Daniel. I love the book of Daniel. So they're going to perk up. Then you say, you know what? I, I've actually been looking into some things that Jehovah's Witness teach. They're going to perk up again. Because usually people think that Jehovah's Witness are fanatical. Step three. You say, you know what? That's interesting. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's vision, the seven years. That's interesting how you apply that seven years and you apply the day for the year principle. They're like, yeah, yeah, we, we apply it. And we go from 607 to 1914. Then here's the, here's the clincher. Let me show you a prophecy. It's found in Daniel chapter 8. And you go to Daniel chapter 8 and you show them verse 14. Unto how many days, everyone? 2300 days. Then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, this was such an important dream. What happened to Daniel after that, after this dream? He fainted. Then after that, he didn't get the interpretation. So what did he do after that? Pleaded with God. God, please show me the interpretation of that dream. You remember the story, right? Ask your Jehovah's Witness friend this. Why is it that you apply the day for the year principle for Daniel chapter 4, but you don't apply it for Daniel chapter 8? Every single time I've asked them that, they're stumped. Well, I'll be. I don't know why we do that. That's usually how they react, okay? Now, let me give you my, the next step. So my job, my job is not to convert them on the spot. That's not going to, and I'm not going to say it's not going to happen, but the chances are very slim of that happening. But you can make them think and search the scriptures. Now, here's the other way. Here's the other way how to get them. Now, obviously, if you talk about Jesus, that Jesus is Jehovah, closed door. But if you take another approach and you say, and you talk about the Holy Spirit, that's your back door. Because they believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, is not a person. So if you show them, hey, you know what? I've been studying the Holy Spirit. and can, Let me show you some verses. Are you guys ready? Let me show you some verses. Let's go to Acts 8, verse 29. We have to go move very rapidly. We only have 20 minutes left, and I still have to get to Mormonism. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 29. All right. Are we all there? Say a nice, hearty, happy GYC, amen? amen? All right. Acts 8, verse 29, listen to what it says. It says, then the Spirit, what's that next word? Wow, can a force speak? It says, then the Spirit said, what did he say? Gibberish? No, intelligent words. Then the Spirit said, Unto Philip, go near and join yourself to his chariot. Let me give you another one. By the way, 
I usually like to do this with their Bible. I say, let me see your New World Translation. Don't use your Bible because if you use your Bible, it's going to close doors. So just say, hey, let me use one of your Bibles. And all of this applies. Okay? Let's go to our next passage of Scripture. This is the best one. I would give you a whole other ones, but uh, we don't have time. You know, let me just give them to you. We won't go there. And then I'll, I'll, I'll give you the best one, the clincher. If you go to um, 1 Corinthians 12, you could write down 1 Corinthians 12, 11, The Spirit imparts gifts. The Spirit gives gifts. John 14, 26 and 27, The Spirit teaches, and it has the word He. He will bring all things to remembrance, I believe. John 14, 26 and 27. And then write down John 16, 13, the Spirit will guide. It gives characteristics to the Spirit as though the Spirit is a person. That's because He is a person, of course. But here's the best one. Let's go to Romans 8, 26. I was in, how many of you have been to the tiny island of Lanai, Hawaii? Lanai, Hawaii, that's where Bill Gates got married. Larry Oracle just bought it for some ridiculous amount of money. I was there studying with some Jehovah's Witness with my student. We, Souls West did an evangelistic series there. Romans 8, 26 and 27. And we were sitting across from two of the uh, so-called top Jehovah's Witness in the whole island. We shared these verses and they were stumped. So this wasn't just with some average people. This is with their top people. Romans 8, 26 and 27, listen to what the Bible says. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we not know, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So notice this. What does the Spirit do? Makes intercession. Verse 27, and he that searched the heart's knows what is, in the, what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I showed them this one and I said, how can an active force make intercession? That doesn't make any sense. If here is God and here is me and there's someone who is interceding, that can't be an active force. That has to be a whole different person. And these witnesses understood that. Their answer to me was, we don't know how to answer that. We'll continue to study. That's what they said. Now I'm going to give you um, the last thing you could share with them. And this is in regards to if all your bridges are burned and you have to say that Jesus is Lord, this is how you do it. Okay? Let me show you. I pulled up, um, we went through here. Okay, so here's what we do. Talked about 2300 day. So the last one is... Show them Isaiah 43, 10 through 12, and then Acts 4, 10 through 12, okay? I'm going to show you. What I did is I went online and took screenshots of the Jehovah's Witness Bible. So this is their version. Isaiah 43, verse 10 through 12, notice this. Let's just go to verse 11 for the sake of time. I am Jehovah. Besides me, there is no Savior. So according to Isaiah 43, verse 11, it says, I am Jehovah, and besides me, there is no what? Savior. So who's the one who's going to save you? Jehovah. Right. This one's pretty easy. Now, if you go to Acts, now this is their Bible, their own Bible. If you go to Acts chapter 4, 10 through 12, watch this. It says, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that in the name of Jesus Christ, the name of who everyone? Jesus. 
Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you executed on a stake. Look how they changed that one. I like that. But they forgot to change this one. But whom God raised up from the dead, by means of him, this man stands here healthy in front of you. This is the stone that was treated by you builders as of no account that has become the chief cornerstone. Verse 12. Furthermore, there is no what? Salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must get saved. Did you get it? Major contradiction. Because Isaiah 43, there's no one who's going to be saved except Jehovah. Acts chapter 4, it says there's no one going to be saved except through Jesus Christ. So we must conclude then that Jehovah equals Jesus. I save this one as the ace in my sleeve because you do that one right away and it's over. So I just wait. I try to I do the Holy Spirit thing. I go through the prophecy thing. And then finally, if there's, we're getting nowhere, I'm like, oh, let me just show you this one last one. Kind of just like a last punch and then run away, right? <laughs> if you can get your hands on this book, which I actually... Um, I have in digital format, which I can give to you. There's an excellent book. This book is called Our Friend the Jehovah's Witness by E.B. Price. And he goes through how to witness to Jehovah's Witness. He is a convert. He used to be a witness, and he's a convert to Adventism. And he breaks it down. He's from Australia. So if you can get your, if you can get your hands on this book, it's the best book on Jehovah's Witness. I got a lot of the materials. Um, by the way, the reason why... They, when you say the word Trinity, they don't think of God the Father, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus. They think of this pagan symbol right there. See the bottom right? That's what they think of the Trinity. So that's why you don't want to use the word Trinity, because that's what they think. They think of this, this pagan symbol. All right, we have to get to Mormons now. Our friends, the Mormons. Here we go. The official name of Mormons are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They began in the 1840s. Their founder is Joseph Smith. There are 12.2 million Mormons today. Adventism has more than Jehovah's Witness, and we also have more than the Church of Latter-day Christ. They are the largest tithe-paying church in America. Their inspired writings include the King James Version. By the way, if you're going to witness to them, make sure your Bible is the KJV, not the NKJV, not the ESV, not the NESB. King James Version is the only Bible version that they accept. The Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenant, those four are their inspired writings. Their worship centers are called wards. They're family-oriented. On Monday nights, they have what's called family home evening or family night. If you like to canvas Mormons like I do, you tell them, hey, this is a great one, um, uh, story time, because you can use that for your family night reading on Monday night. They're like, wow, you knew about that? I'm like, yeah. So Monday night, that's a, it's a great conversation starter. Tell them how much you appreciate their family night. That's Monday night. Um, burning of the bosom, that refers to conversion. So if someone says, I had the burning of the bosom, that means they got converted. Number four, uh, another term. Jack Mormon refers to nominal Mormons. Like we have nominal Adventists, they have nominal Mormons. So if you are not a faithful Mormon, they call you Jack Mormons. Bishops are pastors or leaders of the ward. Mormons do not drink, smoke, chew tobacco. They wear modest clothing. They are not allowed to buy and sell on the Sabbath. I don't know if you knew that one, but their Sabbath, of course, is Sunday. They have to serve a two, two years as a missionary They're not allowed in the temple. 
uh, unless, you are a, unless you have special privileges. By the way, of course, there's the Mormon wards, which are like their churches, and the temples, the ones that are worth like millions and millions of dollars. They're usually all white, and they have the, the angel of Moroni that's all gold on the top. That's the temple. Mormons are ignorant regarding most of their teachings as well. So if, when it comes to their own teachings, they're familiar with the Book of Mormon. They're not familiar with the scriptures, and they don't know much about the Pearl of Great Price or Doctrine and Covenants. Mormon beliefs, they are monotheistic. They believe Jesus is a created being and he's brothers with Lucifer. They believe that the fall of mankind was a planned blessing from God. And they believed in order to be saved, you need to be a baptized Mormon. So that's, of course, why you have, your, those of you who, if you convert to Mormonism, you have to have baptism of the dead for your family members who didn't have the blessing of being a Mormon. Now, here's, they have something interesting regarding the afterlife. If you're Mormon, regarding the afterlife, you believe that your spirit will either be in paradise or a spirit prison. Unbelievers and sinners go into the spirit prison, but you can be bailed out by the merits of the living and also by good works and repentance. After the final judgment, many will be assigned to one of the three heavens where you must continue to grow for all eternity. Mormon beliefs. They have the 13 articles of faith, which is very similar to our 28 fundamental beliefs. They believe in prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. They believe in the Bible, and I'm quoting here. This is exactly taken from their uh, articles of faith. They believe in the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God. So that's what they say. I quoted that one. And, and let me go off a tangent real quick by, by saying this. This is why I believe that Seventh-day Adventism has the truth. Yes, we have Ellen White. Yes, we have the spirit of prophecy. But our spirit of prophecy, Ellen White's writings, what does it do? Does it uphold the Bible or does it devalue the Bible? It upholds the Bible. Whereas if you go to Jehovah's Witness, their writings devalue the Bible. You must read the Watchtower in order for you to understand the scriptures. Or you cannot read the Bible unless you have uh, the Book of Mormon helping to illustrate or watch out for the mistranslations. Adventism for me, in, in all my searching, is the only religion that has a prophet that upholds the Bible to the highest standard. Because think about it, if you're a prophet, do you want people to read your writings or do you want people to read someone else's writings? You want people to read your writings. Right? If you're a so-called prophet. And so many people who say they're prophets, they devalue everything that's out there. Here's the Book of Mormon timeline. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time about the Book of Mormon. Then we're going to have to close. I'll tell you how to witness to them. Then we'll close. So here's the basic timeline. The red is the Bible and the blue is the Book of Mormon. So this is where the overlap is. We start with creation, Abraham, Moses, birth of Christ. The, the apostles are martyred. Kind of, the Bible kind of ends where the apostles are martyred, right? If you look at the Book of Mormon, there's an overlap with the Bible. Lehi's family depart Jerusalem for the Americas right before the birth of Christ. The resurrected Christ visits the Americas, and the Book of Mormon is compiled in about 385, and then Joseph Smith finds it and translates it in 1829. So that's what the Book of Mormon. And let me give you a summary. The Book of Mormon is a historical record of God's dealings with the ancient inhabitants of the Americans starting in 600 B.C., and it goes to about 400 A.D. 
The story of the Book of Mormon begins with a, a man named Lehi, a Hebrew prophet who fled Jerusalem with his family and several others at the instruction of the Lord. Lehi and his sons built a ship and sailed from the Arabian Peninsula to the Americas approximately 600 B.C. Lehi's family grew after they arrived in the Americas. His family eventually split into two groups known as the Neophytes and the Lamanites. The Lord continued to call prophets in America, and they recorded their teaching on metal sheets or plates and passed them on from generation to generation. And comes the climax. The crowning event of the Book of Mormon comes when the Savior, Jesus Christ, visited these ancient inhabitants in the Americans in 34 AD. So understand, Jesus rose from the grave, and then what did he do? He came to America. That's what happened. After his resurrection and ascension and taught the same gospel he preached in ancient Jerusalem, he healed the sick, the lame, the blind, and all who were afflicted. The effect of his visit was so profound that for the next 200 years, the people lived in peace. About, about 322 AD, a prophet named Mormon compiled a history from many ancient records written by prophets into one set of golden plates. The faithful Christians among them eventually died out, but not before their record was safely hidden away, and God guided Joseph Smith to these plates in 1827. All of these pictures and everything that you see right there is all taken from the official Mormon website. So this is not something that's been conjured up. This is their official statement, what they say what they, of, of their history. Now, let me give you some problems with the Book of Mormon. I wish I had time to go through all of them, but we'd be here for another session of GYC, another five days. So let's go through a few of them. 1 Nephi chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. So 1 Nephi chapter 2, 5 and 6. It's funny because it says there that there's a river that goes to the Red Sea. That's not true. If you look at the geographical record, there is no river that goes to the Red Sea. 1 Nephi chapter 4, verse 9, it talks about steel. Now, the problem with that is steel did not exist yet. But this passage, according to the Book of Mormon, is taking place around 900 B.C. Then you have Ether 919, talks about elephants and horses in the Americas. That's not true. Does anyone know when horses came to America? The Spanish, that's right. The Spanish introduced horses to, the, to America in the 1800s, I believe. Now, here's probably the grossest of all errors. It's found in 2 Nephi chapter 2, 21 through 22. And then it goes down to 20 through 25 basically talks about the fall of mankind being a planned blessing, that God wanted it to happen. It goes on, verse 23, it says, and they would have had no children. So if there was no fall, there would have been no children. Wherefore, they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy. So what it's saying is, sin brought joy. <laughs> it's pretty bad if you think about it. It says, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knows all things. So again, talks about the blessing of sin. That's what the Book of Mormon says. On this PowerPoint, I also have a bunch of doctrinal contradictions with the Book of Mormon and their other ones, such as Pearl of Great Price and Doctrine of Covenants. We don't have time to get into all of those things. So now let's get into how to witness to them. Let me first give you the Adventist advantage. What advantage do we have as Adventists? Number one, we both believe in prophets. Number two, we both keep the Sabbath. Number three, we believe in the importance of modesty. Number four, we believe in that the body is the temple of God. Number five, 
the importance of the family. So we as Seventh-day Adventists have so much in common. Many times when I go to the door and someone is a Mormon, I say, oh, you're Mormon, that's awesome. You know what, let me tell you something. I really respect how you believe in family values. I respect that you keep the Sabbath. I respect that you believe the body is the temple of God and you don't drink. I share these things to them, and they're like, wow, you know about those things. And I said, yes, I believe those things as well. By the way, if you canvass on a Sunday in Salt Lake City, (laughs) everyone is Mormon, and they're not allowed to buy. So you tell them, these books we leave on a love offering. That's what you tell them. And usually we can get a lot of books out that way. By the way, we do send out canvassing teams to Salt Lake City every summer. So that's a beautiful thing. We do send out teams to them. Here's some tips. Do not argue with them. Do not ask them about their holy underwear. Don't talk about the Masonic symbols in their temples. Yes, it's true, but you know, I don't have time to get into that. But don't, don't ask them about that. That's an insult. Don't talk to them about the Masonic symbols in their temples. I've actually had a chance to go through a temple. If you have a chance to go through a, Mas- uh, through a Mormon temple, do so. It's amazing. What happens is every time they open a brand new temple, they open it up to the public for the first month. And so if you know that one is, they're building one, get in line. Make sure you can get, uh, get a chance to go through those temples. Don't discuss their past, like racism, polygamy, all the controversial things. Here's how you can witness to them, okay? The first one is interesting, and I have this directly from their website. Talk to them about the Sabbath. This is from their website. They have in their manual an entire section on keeping the Sabbath. So if you just talk to them about what you already know about the Sabbath, then you will have an opportunity to share with them about something that you already do. Now here's something interesting. It says, before the time of Christ, the Sabbath was observed on the seventh day of the week. But following Christ's resurrection, most Christians have observed the Sabbath on the first day of the week. Now, here's the other interesting thing. They believe that many of these Christian churches were in apostasy. So they're kind of picking and choosing. They're like, well, we don't want to really want to believe the Christians in so many of the other things, but they adopted Sunday worship. So if you let them know and say, hey, just so you know, you're following something that's pagan, the Sunday worship thing, there is no biblical proof for that. I know a lot of people who've had success in talking to them about Sabbath and Sunday. Let me give you what I've been able to do, and and I'll give you the story about this. My friend, best friend at my wedding, his name is Shane, he went to Mission Hills, he went to Amazing Facts, he went to a number of Bible colleges, served as a Bible worker, and he was thinking, how can I witness to these Mormons? And he came up with an idea, and I'm going to share it with you, and I've tried it. This, This plan is bulletproof. I've tried this. And he basically executed this plan to perfection, and and he executed it so well that the two guys he he was witnessing to, they had to send one of them back to Salt Lake for reprogramming because of how well this next study tip I'm going to share with you, okay? So here's how you do it. Mormon knocks on your door. You open it up and say, Hi. How's it going? You have a conversation. Be polite to them. Then you say, you know, I'm only interested in talking to you if you believe in prophets after the Bible. Guess what they're going to do? 
they're going to get really excited. Because how many Christians believe in prophets after the Bible, after the canon? Hardly any, right? Then you let them know, okay, well, if you are interested, if you can, if you believe in prophets after the Bible, we can study. So you sit down with them and talk to them. By the way, does anyone know what the what is the most important Bible study or their most important study, what they have with you? They establish the spirit of prophecy. They establish prophets. And then they introduce you to the Book of Mormon. They say this is better than the Bible, right? So you, when they say that they believe that there are prophets outside of the Bible, we say, perfect, I believe that too. Then you listen to them a little bit. And then you say, look, can I share with you just a couple of things? This is just what I've been learning. I just want to show it to you. You ready? Let's go to Amos 3, verse 7. Take them to Amos chapter 3, verse 7. We have to end here. So let's go through this quickly. The Bible says, Surely the Lord God will do how much? How much, everyone? This is important. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. So you establish with your friends, in, in your new, new friends, you say, look, God will do nothing unless he reveals it first to his prophets. And then you say, I've been studying the Bible, and in the Bible, there's something called predict and fulfill. So, for example, the flood. Who were the prophets who predicted the flood? He fulfilled it. Enoch and Methuselah. Enoch and Methuselah predicted it. Noah fulfilled it. Let me give you another one. Every single time there's an event, there's a prophet that predicts, a prophet that fulfills. The Exodus. Who predicted the Exodus? Abraham. Thank you. It's Abraham, right? Abraham, remember the 400 years or 430? All right, so Abraham predicts the Exodus. Who's the one who fulfills it? Thank you. Moses. Let's go to the next one. What about Jesus coming the first time? Who predicts it? Plenty of people. Isaiah, Micah, minor prophets. We have a lot of people. Who's the one who fulfills? John the Baptist, right? So there's a prophet every single time predicts and fulfills. Now, you know the beautiful thing is Seventh-day Adventists, all we got to do is live up to our message. Guess where we're going to go? Daniel 8, 14 again. If we can just stick to our message, we'll reach so many people. Daniel chapter 8, 14. You show them to 2,300 days. Started in 457 B.C. We're all Adventists. We know how to break down 2300-day prophecies. Amen? Amen? So you break that down to them. Now, Daniel was the prophet that predicted it. It starts in 457, goes all the way to 1844. Who is the prophet that's going to fulfill it? This is when they get excited. Why? Guess who died in 1844? Joseph Smith. Joseph died in, Smith died in 1844, so at this moment, my friend, he told me, when he was studying with these two more missionaries, the guy who was looking at this was like, it's Joseph Smith, it's Joseph Smith. My best friend Shane, he said to him, hey, I'll tell you what, 
Let's study next week, because I know you guys have another study for me. If you can show me anywhere in all your writings, in Joseph Smith's writings, that he fulfilled and talked about the investigative judgment, I'll be a Mormon. So they came back the next week. What do you think will happen? Empty-handed. And my friend said, well, I'm sorry. Looks like he's not the prophet. Someone has to be the prophet, right? And he pulls out great controversy. <laughs> Shows how woman, a woman can be a prophet and as a prophet, Luke chapter 2. Goes through and says, as you can see, right here, here's the chart. Here's Ellen White. She also called out the religions at that time that were in apostasy. She called those things out. By the way, that's their main belief for the Book of Mormon. That's the main reason for Mormonism was to call out the religions that were in apostasy. You can say this book calls out the religions in apostasy and shows you what is the true church. That guy, at this moment, said, she's a prophet. She's a prophet. This Mormon was saying Ellen White's a prophet. And of course, you know, you have the elder and then you have the junior elder. That's how, well, that's how they sent him out, you know, in two by twos. And they had to grab that guy and take him back to Salt Lake City for reprogramming. <laughs> I hope you guys learned something during this time. It's been a pleasure to be able to share with you. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, very much time. We are ending, but before we, be, before we end, real quickly, shh, if I can have your attention, I have some volunteers in the back, and they're going to be handing out these, um, these youth rush, what we call flyers, for those of you who want a chance to canvas during the summer. And for those of you who were here for all six, make sure you stick around and stay. We have a canvassing bag for you. Can I have one of those right up here? Give your own starter set on how you can canvas. We have 11 different books. It's a GYC edition canvassing bag. And um, we want to make sure for those of you who are able to learn something new that you're able to pick up all your brand new literature. So let's go ahead and pray as we close. Father in heaven, thank you for the things that we can learn. I pray that this seminar, as short as it was, helped to create a burden in our heart for your friends, your children, the Jehovah's Witness, and the Mormons. I pray that somehow someone in this room can reach them. I pray that there will be millions that will be saved into your kingdom. I pray that you will save us, most importantly. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the cross in phoenix arizona gyc a supporting ministry of the seventh day adventist church seeks to inspire young people to be bible-based christ-centered and soul-winning christians to download or purchase other resources like this visit us online at www.gycweb.org